in the wake of um, John Lewis's recent death, um, there's been footage um, that I'm sure you've seen of the march from Selma to uh, Montgomery, Alabama, over the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And um, so I've just have seen that footage numerous times. And as you remember on that day, which is referred to as Bloody Sunday, 1965, um, activists had organized this March for Voting Rights. And um, as you saw those 600 peaceful protesters walking silently over the bridge, on the other side of that bridge, there was 150 state troopers with bully clubs and on horses and wearing gas masks. And there's this particular moment in that footage um, that has stuck with me. Here in this um, moment, we see a young John Lewis um, standing with Hosea Williams with those peaceful protesters all behind them as the troops approach them. And who wouldn't be afraid in a moment like this? whose heart would not be hammering in their chest as they stood there defenseless against that show of power. And you see them um, just standing there silently, not turning away, just facing those state troopers coming towards them um, with a, an almost, um, just almost unnatural kind of peace that I think um, would belie any of us if we were in that moment. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. I think of my own father as a young boy in North Korea, only nine years old. He was born at the end of the Japanese occupation and into the communist government of Kim Il-sung, who's the grandfather of North Korea's current leader, Kim Jong-un. His own pastors were killed um, by communists, and he was once beaten so badly by his teacher uh, for going to church that he had to crawl home. And that was just the reality of the world he lived in. And at, this, at that time, he was about nine years old, so it was around the time that it happened. You know, at this time, he had no idea of the suffering that still laid ahead of him being separated from his family during the Korean War, the hunger he would experience, homelessness, the painful loneliness that he would endure in years ahead. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? So these are two people. They're born right around the same time. My dad was born in 1939 and John Lewis was born in 1940. So two different people born around the same time facing two different kinds of suffering and yet they came through it not diminished or bitter or fearful or anxious, but stronger and more courageous, more resolute, more loving. And it's easy to, look at men like them and think, well, they are giants of the faith. They're in a separate category from the, we admire them, but they're of a, of a different caliber. And yet what we see in our epistle, epistle reading from Romans this morning is that this kind of faith, 
this resilience, this robust spirituality that weathers the storm and stands up against the forces of darkness is the inheritance of the children of God for every single one of us. It is not the exception, it is the norm. So Paul writes in verse 28, he says, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Like, how do you read that verse? Like some might hear it and think to themselves, well, what that means is that life is about everything going well for me in the end. Like that's what it means, that all things should work together for my good. Or some might hear that and think of those times when, when people go up to someone who has suffered a loss of some kind and are grieving, and then they say things like, well, everything happens for a reason. And just as a side note, never, ever say that to anyone under any circumstances. So we read that verse, and what happens is we miss those last two words in this verse. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Not our purpose, not someone else's purpose, but his purpose. So what is his purpose? Verse 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what does the heck, not what does the heck, what the heck does that mean? What does the heck does that mean? <laughs> So I had the same question too. And whenever I um, find a passage of scripture confusing, um, I often turn to the message version of the Bible. And it's this paraphrase that puts the Bible into everyday language. And this is how the message uh, paraphrases that passage. It says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then, after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. So in other words, um, God's purpose is to shape us to be like Jesus. That's what it means to conform us to the image of his son. Now, conformity um, in our very Western individualistic society is often looked down on as a bad thing. You don't want to be a conformist. You want to be a non-conformist. 
But in this case, conformity to the image of Christ, I would argue, is actually what we desire most deeply for our lives. It's not becoming something that you're not. It's not becoming just like everybody else. But rather, it's Christ in you, the life of Christ being lived out in your own unique personality, in this particular season of your life, in these particular circumstances of what's happening in our world today. Being conformed to the image of Christ is being the person that we wish we could be, our truest, most vibrant, most liberated and loving selves at any given moment in our lives. The writer uh, Ruth Haley Barton, she defines spiritual formation as the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the glory of God, the abundance of our own lives, and for the sake of others. It's for the glory of God because a person who's in the process of being transformed is becoming more of who God created and intended them to be. It's for the abundance of our own lives because that's what Jesus promised us when he said that I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, abundant life, full life, that life of, of liberation and of freedom from the bondage to our, our sin and our old selves and our fear. And it's for the sake of others. You know, that forming is always for the sake of others because everything that God does is for the sake of the goodness and the flourishing of the whole human community, not just for us, not just for our tribe, but the whole human community. You know, these are not easy days um, for us and for our world. And perhaps um, you know, we may not be standing on a bridge, um, standing down 150 state troopers. Maybe some of us are, because that is happening in, in our country right now. You know, or we may not be a child refugee like my father um, in, a, in the middle of a war trying to survive. But each of us has our own path and the challenge, challenges that we're facing right now as we're living in these very unprecedented times. And some of us have more privilege, more resources, more choices, and others of us don't. And I say this not to compare our circumstances and either on one hand to feel guilty or on the other hand to feel envious, but rather to embrace the life that we have and who we are and to hold it out before God and to hold ourselves before God and say to God, God, I want your purpose for my life. Shape me, conform me to the image of your son for your glory, for the abundance of my own life, for the sake of others. Free me from the bondage that keeps me just hunkered down and operating from this place of, of fear rather than faith. Make me more like the one who faced hardship and distress and persecution and nakedness and danger and sword. The one who went to the cross and said, in his heart, I'm convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate me from the love of God in Christ. 
in the midst of death, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain. And it's because of his suffering and death and resurrection and eventually ascension that sealed the deal for us too. It is the love of God in Christ and nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from that love. And as we come back to that truth again and again and again, that is the truth that shapes us and that forges us in the crucible of whatever it is that we are facing, whatever it may be, that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. And that is how we are able to face whatever it is that we're facing with faith and with courage and with hope. I want to invite you, um, even now, just to take a moment. I want you to think about what is it that you're facing? Again, not to compare what you're going through to anybody else. Maybe not to, to minimize it and say, well, I'm not going through what this person is going through. But just whatever it is, wherever it is you're at, whatever's causing you just that anxiety and that fear, that discouragement, that hopelessness. And just to imagine yourself, um, whatever that situation is, to, to just hold that in your hands before God right now. And maybe like wh wherever you are, maybe you're sitting in your living room or at your table or in your bedroom, and to just hold that out before God as in a, in a posture and in a gesture of openness to God, an open-handedness to God. And to say, God, shape me. God, form me. God, take what I'm holding and, and meet me here in this place with your love. I believe, I choose to believe that nothing can separate me from your love. And let the knowledge of that, the confidence of that, the assurance of that just bolster my inner spirit and let that perfect love cast out my fear in this moment, my despair in this moment, my discouragement in this moment. I just believe that like God wants you to know right now, wherever you are, he is there with you. And just sometimes in moments like this, I just imagine um, the love of God like an ocean. From Ephesians 3, where it says, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And this love surpasses knowledge. And just to imagine the love of God as this vast ocean. You can't even see the end of it. It is so wide, so long, so high, so deep. And that ocean is holding you. It's holding your loved ones. It is maybe holding that situation that, that you're struggling with right now. It is holding your discouragement and your depression. It's holding the challenges of our world, um, the, the injustices of our world. It's holding all of that. And to allow ourselves to just rest in that knowledge that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. And so God, I just invite your Holy Spirit right now wherever the sound of my voice is reaching right now. And that whatever it is that my brothers and sisters, those of us who are, are, are on this, this call and in this worship service, God, would you come with your love, that vast, unchanging, powerful, liberating, healing, comforting love. And would you touch each and every person exactly where they are, 
in whatever it is that they are holding before you right now. And God, thank you for your Holy Spirit that intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express, that you are praying for us right now. And God, that in our weakness, we are not alone, but that your power and your love, God, are made complete in us. They make us whole. And so God, whatever it is that we're facing, whatever it is that we're going through, God, may your love in our hearts and minds be ever greater, God, that all else would pale in comparison to the vastness of your love. And I pray, God, would that love become real in every heart and mind right now in the name of Jesus. God, may that, re that love become real and visceral. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would pour that out on us right now in the name of Jesus. God, we need you. We love you. We worship you. We bless you today. And we just invite you, God, to come and form us and shape us to make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.